Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. All right then, here we go then with this week's talking points. We will start with the simple question in two minutes. Maddie Playl, first of all, is the whip going to dominate the agenda again? I sincerely hope not. Um, look, there's the possibility we're still seeing jockeys adapting to the new rules. Um, we'll talk about Ryan Manny, a case in a bit. We all know this isn't great timing. We've been talking about it for weeks. Um, I hope not. I hope that, you know, we get good results and that people are focusing on the, the racing for the right reasons. Um, but of course, it's going to be difficult. You know, the stakes don't get higher than at the Cheltenham Festival. And, you know, if it comes to one, two extra hits, if you're in a driving finish to the line, um, it remains to be seen what, what sort of penalties are going to are going to come out. But um, I hope not, Nick. That's my, my line on it. What's your hunch, Ella? Are we going to be a week of whip headlines or are the jockeys going to keep it tight? I couldn't agree with Maddie more. I, I, I really hope not. Um, I do fear for these Irish jockeys coming over and, and you know, they're not used to the, the rules and they haven't yet experienced, some of them haven't experienced coming over and having to, to deal with that. So um, I really hope not. I think it would be a real shame. You know, we need to focus on the stars of our sport, you know, the jockeys and the horses and, and, and not so much about the whip. Um, yeah, it, it's a difficult one. Um, but the, I hope not. The timing of Cheltenham and Aintree means that you're going to have to get a very long ban, I think, to to be in danger of missing missing anything at Aintree because there's four weeks between the two. But if you ended up with a with a 10, 12, 14, that kind of thing, then then it's starting to get pretty dicey, and that'll be playing on their minds. I, I feel just looking at the way that the, the, the bans have come through, Maddie, that quite a lot of those smaller ones are possible, you know, the yeah. time to respond I was going to say, I don't necessarily think... Things, uh, yeah, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a case of having lots of, of people go yeah. over by a lot, um, because jockeys have been counting their strikes for a while now. Obviously, we had the, the seven limit, didn't we? Um, but it's more the rules that we've had previously with regards to shoulder height, yeah. time to respond, have not, to an outsider, looked like they've been implemented as they are now. Uh, as we uh, was evidence with the Brian Hughes case earlier in the week where he got a four-day ban for just one strike. Yeah. Um, Ryan Mannier was the first person to appeal yeah. the new rules. He failed in his appeal. What are the, what are the bones of this case? So, basically, uh, the outcome of this case is they're asking for more clarity because Ryan was arguing that the stride in which he made his first strike counted as one of the three strikes he needed um, to, for it to be a, an adequate response time basically, right. um, whereas the BHA say three strides after the strike. Um, it's just a mess, isn't it, this? And I think we, we really do need clarity. Everything's now, you know, there's less discretion involved. It's more black and white, um, but we've got to, you know, we can't expect an immediate change from one set of rules to another. But, but again, that's going to be frying people listening yeah. to that, th those two halves of that sentence. On one hand, we need clarity, yeah. and on the other hand... It's now black and white. There's no discretion. Yeah. The two things are supposed to go hand in hand. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just hard to, hard to know. I think with regards to the shoulder height, this is it's, and other infringements, you know, to do with um, time to respond. It's, it's just got to be about having that collaboration and that communication between all parties so that jockeys are confident. They know how they can ride um, to the maximise their ability um, without threatening that. 
Um, Ella, how are owners viewing this? I think the tricky part is the fact that it takes, a f you know, days almost to find out if you've been disqualified or if you keep your place, if you've overused the whip. And I think that's where, you know, it's, it's tricky for owners. Um, I think we just, you know, want the jockeys do such a great job and, you know, the owners should be on, on their great riding skill. And I think getting caught up in, in the issues of the whip is is not doing racing any favours. Um, and I think as owners, we just, you know, hope that the jockeys can stick to the rules and we can enjoy the racing for, for what it is. Um, I wonder if Harry Cobden will get any days for his Imperial Cup uh, ride. Some people were suggesting he was going over shoulder height there, so uh, again, open to interpretation. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you, and you, you won't, won't know find that. out a few days yeah. until, until exactly. after the race. Yeah. In, indeed not. Right, we need to know what the ground is going to be at Cheltenham. John Pullen, the clerk of the course, is on the line now. Uh, John, how's the situation this morning, Sunday morning, just after 10 o'clock? Uh, good morning, Nick. Um, yeah, uh, we've updated this morning. Um, old course is now soft, good to soft. The new course, good to soft and soft in places. Um, we had a dry day through the day yesterday, and we just had one and a half millimetres overnight. Um, so that update just sort of shows that it did dry back a little bit yesterday. Um, we'll be dry through the day today, temperatures around 10, 11 degrees. But then there is a band of rain moving in this evening. Um, could bring sort of two or three millimetres um, tonight and, and in the early hours. And then tomorrow's looking a blustery day, quite windy, um, and, and a few showers throughout the day, which could bring another sort of three to five mil as well. Uh, if you are forecast, um, or if you get exactly what you are forecast at the moment, what will you be starting on? What will be the ground for the Supreme Novices Hurdle? I think if we get the, the majority of, uh, of that that's in the forecast, I think we'll be starting on soft ground. Just pure soft through and through? I think so, yes. You know, it did dry back a little bit yesterday, and, and with today it, it may dry back a little bit more, but it won't take much at the moment to, uh, you, you know, to ease it again. So I think you know, there's a good chance we'll be starting on soft ground on Tuesday. Deeper into the week, new course Thursday, Friday. What do you anticipate, again, if forecasts are correct? Yeah, so Tuesday itself, um, we, we might get a, a little bit of rain sleet early on, but nothing too significant. Um, a few sunny spells through the day. Um, Steady. We, we are looking at a, a, a frost uh, potentially on Tuesday night into Wednesday. Wednesday itself through most of the day looks, looks dry, um, but then there's another band of rain Wednesday evening into Thursday, and Thursday itself could be quite wet. Um, so a combination of Wednesday through the night and, and Thursday could see another 5 to 10 mil. Um, you know, so I think that um, would mean that we'd start on the new course potentially on soft as well on Thursday. Look at that. You're an absolute pro. John, thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. John Pullen, the clerk of the course at Cheltenham. Uh, right, let's talk about accommodation at Cheltenham because if you want it, you're probably not going to be able to get it unless you stay a fair way away. But they've abandoned these... Um, yep. What basically cabin, poddy yeah. type, I don't know, containers that you were going to be able to stay in? Yeah, so they had 16, I think, just 16 bookings for, I think, uh, I can't remember how much capacity is, but quite a 300. lot. Yeah, 300, so nothing really. Um, I think if there is a place for this sort of accommodation, don't get me wrong, we what know sort of how the... Slightly kind of camping style? Yeah, well, you look at festivals and yeah. they have glamping and that sort of thing. I definitely think there is a place for it. Um, 
But I think the issues for me with this were, one, the price. They were saying it was competitive with places in town. Well, there's kind of a difference between staying in a metal pod and in a nice cushy hotel where you don't have to share facilities yeah, as much with anyone. Dare I say, some of the hotels that are not that cushy were still charging three, four hundred quid a night. Yeah, um, but I, I think there is a place for it. But ultimately, you know, it's it's a hard sell in many ways. And I think a lot of people have their set accommodation every year, don't they? This is mm. what we're going to do. The main thing for me, I mean, I'd consider staying in one of these things if it wasn't perhaps quite as bleak looking, um, was that it was a minimum five night stay. I mm. mean, well, you can't have everyone wanting to commit to that sort of uh, stay all in one go. I think that's going to change for next year. But it's interesting what you were saying, that, and I don't know if you agree, Ella, that there is a place for more reasonable accommodation. So there is, although everybody took the mickey out of this uh, and it hasn't really flown, there's method behind the madness. There, there's a germ of a good idea here somewhere. Yeah, I think it's definitely a germ um, at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it needs to flower. Um, I know, I think there is a place and time for it. I just think they should have maybe thought things through a little bit more in terms of yeah. what you get for your money. Um, you know, racing uh, four days at Cheltenham is, is you know really expensive for for race goers. You know, with tickets and travel and then accommodation on top of that in a metal pot, mm. it 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 works out. You know, you can go on holiday for that sort of money. Mm. So um, yeah, I think we might see it in the future, but um, not not in a, how it is at the moment. All right, let's talk about just the extent of. Uh, of Willie Mullins' domination this week. Um, did I see that he might bring 90 horses? Was it that with the final tally? Or I'm not sure, but it certainly wouldn't that. surprise you, would it? I mean, we've been following this all the way through the season. You know, you scroll down odds checker and see 12 of the favourites and, and so much depth to his string as well. You know, if, if he has the, you know, if an ergamine doesn't fire, he's got Blue Lord and he's probably got two or three dark horses of will get confirmed in the Supreme, for instance, if Fasal Vega doesn't fire. So, yeah, I think we were saying before, we think um, the Brits are going to have, hopefully, quite a, a good opening day, but it's whether we can keep that momentum up afterwards um, because there's just extraordinary well, strength and depth. You can't compete with the numbers. And Ella, in recent seasons, your family ownership has taken quite a few horses to, to Ireland. Has, have you found that that has reaped the dividends that you were hoping for and expecting? Yeah, I mean, we did have a few horses with Willie and just for whatever reason just didn't work out. So it doesn't always guarantee success. Um, but we have a good string of horses with Gordon now and um, we've had some good success with him. And, you know, two of our top hopefuls are, are from Gordon's yard. And I think, yeah, it it just racing in, in Ireland is just so different, I think, to, to what we have here. And it's really part of, you know, the rural economy there is huge compared to what it is uh, over here. And I think, it's, as you said earlier, it's part of their everyday life and the stories of these horses, you know, carry them through. And I think, yeah, we, we've loved having horses in Ireland and we've had some great success. Um, but, you know, we, we do still, you know, have the majority of our string in, in England because um, that's where we want to be racing and that's where we want to yeah. be winning. But, you know, you can't, you can't shy away from the fact that the best horses at the moment are in Ireland. So you don't feel that it's part of like a mass migration? You're not going to, or not all the McNeil family horses aren't going to suddenly end up in, in Ireland? I don't think so. Uh, not, not for the moment anyway, as far as I'm aware. Um, yeah, we, we have some of our great friends as our trainers and, and we want to support them. And, you know, if we have to have a few in Ireland, th then we will. But, um, yeah, our, our roots are strongly um, in England. Um, now, Cheltenham this year, Maddie, record prize money. You can't quibble with that. It is record prize money over 28 races, and it's solid, strong. 
But is it strong enough relative to what has become the importance of the meeting to the remainder of the season? If it is the be-all and end-all and, and people are campaigning horses as such, is it enough that, say, some of the handicaps are 75 grand added, so your owner's prize money is a little over 30 grand? Yeah, we were talking about this beforehand. Um, we'll look at the Imperial Cup. That was a 100 grand race, the same amount as the, the county and the coral, I believe. So... I'd argue for the very top owners, you know, uh, your likes of your, your Cheveley Parks, your Bective Studs, your Donnellys or whatever. You make the money is not, sorry, <laughs> the, money, <laughs> the money is not um, their number one priority. You know, anyone who can shell out uh, six figures on a point-to-point -point at a sale, um, you know, the, the odds of them getting their money back and it's about the Cheltenham experience. Mm -hmm. No sure. one's going to Cheltenham next week going, oh yeah, can't wait to win 40, 50 grand of my, of my prize money in one of these decent handicaps. They're going there because of the reputation of the meeting. Does that then undermine the whole prize money argument then? I, I think in a way it, it does at a certain level and it depends who you are. I mean, I'm sure you're not in a position where you'd be saying, oh no, you know, we, it's not important to us because of course it has to be when you're running a business. Yeah, it's it's hugely important and I think if we want to attract new people into this sport, you, you're going to have to put up better prize money. I mean, it's great that we've got record prize money at Cheltenham, but I don't think we can rest on those laurels that it's going to be, you know, you know, it's fantastic, but I think there's still more work to be done. Um, you know, some some prize monies that you get in, in, in various races is, is abysmal. <laughs> and I think if we want to attract you know, more people into the sport, prize money is going to have to come into that conversation. But would prize money, for example, um, and say better prize money per race in Ireland, would that be any kind of driving factor to why you'd have the odd horse trained there? Uh, not particularly, probably. Uh, not for, as in like our operation at the moment. It, I mean, it helps, obviously. And if we can cover our training fees mm. with, with the prize money, then that's what we aim to do. Um, but I think it's more the, the lower end of the level that that's it's it, more important. It? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we, we want to win big prize money at the end of the day, but it's not the be-all and end-all for us at this stage. I guess that's quite refreshing in a way because it shows you that people are in the sport for the right reasons and it's about passion. I mean, that's a very, a very positive spin to put on it uh, when, you know, British prize money can't compete worldwide. Um, but at least it shows you how much heart is in the game. And, of course... Prize money can only increase, contingent on how much money is bet into the sport. Uh, what impact do you think the recent headlines over affordability checks are going to have on betting at Cheltenham this week, Maddie? Yeah, I think it's going to be huge. I even said yesterday, I wonder, I haven't bet as much as I usually do this season, but I will be at Cheltenham and I wonder if the algorithms are going to suddenly be woken up and triggered by by activity, and I think that's going to happen. We're going to see that happen across the country. People are suddenly going to be, you know, they haven't had a bet since the Grand National last year, and they're going to have a look, log on, and, and be told, "No, but, thank you, you can't do but surely, that." Surely, surely, if the algorithms are as are as efficient as we all believe them to be, then, are they that efficient? Then, pe then, well, this is what I'm going to say. If people are if people are not betting as much as they normally do, and suddenly they they load a, a, a bunch of money into their account for the Cheltenham Festival and start punting like mad, every bookmaker in the land should be saying, yeah, we'll have more of you, thanks very well, much. These are just the kind of punters they want. Exactly. They'll be making a fortune out of them. Exactly, and most casual punters are seasonal. You know, their, their deposits go up and down if there's a, a big festival, interest increases that way. Um, but, of course, the, the talking point here is that how much of the on-course bookies going to benefit from that? And I think a big part of Cheltenham is 
you know you can sit there and bet on your phone but that it's not the same as having a bet in the betting ring you know with with cash and and getting your betting slip and enjoying that whole experience but um no i think this is potentially going to be huge and i'll be fascinated to see the levels of turnover afterwards because we know the number i mean what is it in the top 10 mm. uh stake races of the year Do a lot even the martin pipe you know the fox hunters race after the gold cup they engage punters how much cash betting do you do on a race course? Not much these days. Are you going to do? Are you going to do some this week? Oh, I, I will. Yeah, absolutely. Are you, would you cash bet on a race course, Helen? Uh, occasionally, yeah. I think more at these big festivals than I would um, in, in the smaller meetings. But you know, a, a good point is that well, my dad's had his betting account taken away from him it, uh, with one provider, and he now would have a bigger bet on a race course because he's not able to online. And I think that's actually not a bad thing because it encourages people to, to go racing if, if, you know, to have a bet in the betting ring, which is a huge part of the experience of going racing. And I think on-course bookmakers are going to benefit from it. And that's very interesting. And, and is, is betting a big part of his race-going experience? I mean... Or his ownership experience? Not so much. I mean, it, it's the wanting to win. That's, that's the, the main part and, the, and the, you know, the great time we have and the passion we have for the sport. But it's still important. And, you know, I think yesterday, for example, he, you know, had to have a bet on course because he couldn't, couldn't online. And I think we do make it too easy for, for, to have a bet online. I think, you know, heads in your phone. I think it's great to get out on the race course, get in the betting ring. It's part of the whole experience. And... You know, it, it's a it's a tricky one, but um, we can't afford to be losing that percentage, though, can we? You know, if that's happening to every every other punter who suddenly decides, oh, it's Cheltenham, I'm going to have a bet in the Supreme, and then mm. they get blocked straight away. I mean, the impact on the sport there would be catastrophic. Of course, we're going to go back to the days of the late, much missed John McCrew shouting, "Come racing!" at the uh, at the camera every week. Um, right, those were this week's talking points. <laughs> 